Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay, well, happy Easter, church. Great to be together. Great to see your smiley faces. Um, And today, I want to look at, obviously, the resurrection. Uh, For the last at least week or two, most of us have been um, attempting to some degree uh, in this Lenten period to be deliberately, consciously kind of companioning Christ in his sufferings, thinking about Christ, looking at Christ. Um, You know, we are a people and our religion is marked by the cross, right? An object of crucifixion. So we've been companioning Christ and And I think it's been a really rich time, actually, as we have uh, almost done our best to use our sanctified imaginations to to feel what it would have been like to be Jesus as he went through all that he did. However, today we join with two billion, approximately, other Christians across this world on planet Earth in celebrating, making much of the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? It is a wonderful thing to celebrate. And some of you, as I say that, may intellectually agree with me, uh, but feel strangely emotionally uh, not a lot as I say that. Some of you may may intellectually disagree with me and may feel irritated as I talk about that. Some of you may, feel, may be intellectually, um, I've just never really thought about it, and feel kind of numb when I say that as Christians, the central bit of what it is that we believe is the resurrection of a man literally, physically, bodily from the dead. That is the centerpiece of Christianity. And today I want to do two things. In a little while, secondarily, I want to try and convince you that you can depend on the resurrection more than you realise. That you can actually depend on it. Now you might say, why is that important? Well, it's it's, it's very important if you want to be prepared, ultimately, to go through this life and not just rely on your emotions and how you're feeling. I want to mentally, intellectually, later in this talk help you to realise you can depend on the reality of the resurrection as a historic and therefore cosmically significant event more than perhaps you realise. I want to show that the arguments that it didn't really happen, etc., etc., are actually, in my opinion, not that strong. Which means, for example, if you're a Christian here today... The reason I'm saying this is because you are being swirled around doing X number of hours a week in your job and doing all these different things that are important. But there's going to come a point where your end, your life is going to end as we know it. And I often said to the church in Canterbury, my key job as your pastor is to prepare you to meet your maker. 
That is actually a key part of why I exist, is to help you constantly think about that reality. Uh, a friend of ours said, her grown-up child said to her recently, Mum, you did a great job of protecting me. In the schools that I went to, the college I went to, you did a great job of protecting me. You didn't do a great job of preparing me. And I just felt like, yeah, that's a, that's a helpful little summary. With my children, I wish they were all here in this room right now. Daisy is. I want my children not to be just protected. I want them to be mentally prepared through this life to be able to rest, even when emotionally they feel so much else. The resurrection was real and is of profound importance, of most importance, when I come to think about my very own death, which may not be when I'm 95 years old in a nice little nursing home with, you know, birds tweeting and lots of people around me. It may not be like that, but it's okay if I am convinced in my bones and in my brain that the resurrection of Christ is real. I want to prepare my kids for that. I think that's a kind thing to do, more than endless other things that could fill their time. I want them to be prepared, and I want you to be prepared as well. And if you're not a Christian here today or watching this, it's important because the resurrection is one of the key reasons that to believe what Christians believe is very reasonable. You may, not, you may not agree, but C.S. Lewis, the most reluctant convert in all of Christendom, he said, after looking at the evidence, as discussed by Tolkien over 10 years in a pub, he said, it is actually a reasonable thing to believe. It is a reasonable thing. You don't have to throw your brain out. So I'm going to get on to why you can, I think, depend on the resurrection in a little while. But before I do that, I want to actually, cheekily, try and convince you, not just that you can depend on the resurrection, but that deep down, you desire the resurrection more than you realise. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of that question. Do I desire the resurrection? It's a slightly strange question. But the more I've pondered this, the more I believe, and, and actually it's, a, it's an interesting thing in life, isn't it? We're not um, kind of, we're not robots. We're not, uh, we don't make decisions just braced, just based on intellect. We are desire creatures. So what you desire shapes how you rationally compute this world more than you realise. And I want to say this, that you may not have made this connection, but you actually desire the resurrection far more than you maybe consciously realise. And I want to show that and prove that as best as I can from, number one, looking at two things that we all desire and linking them with the resurrection. But also, thirdly, looking at one thing that we all detest and showing that that also is linked with the event of the resurrection. What I want to basically say is this, is that 99% of all of the legitimate felt needs of this world are actually found true in the resurrection. So many of the things that, you know, in this area alone, in the Bay Area, people want to be true. They want this life to be a certain way, are not bad wants. And actually the resurrection is saying, yes, well done for wanting that, oh human. And because this man has come back from the dead, we can now offer it to you. One of the great scandals of the Christian church is even though in my belief, so many of the legitimate felt needs of, of humans are actually 
kind of possible now because of the resurrection, we Christians have often done a terrible job of helping people connect the dots between their needs and their desires and the joyful news of the resurrection. So often people think of Christianity as anything but that. And I want to show today that actually the desire, most of your desires, not all of them, most of them are actually because we are designed to long for this thing. And it has happened. And it's of profound importance. So we desire the resurrection more than we realise. And we can depend on the resurrection more than we realise. So first of all, let's go to work with that first question or that first statement that we desire the resurrection more than we realise. And I'm going to argue that, first of all, that we all desire, the first desire I want to connect with the resurrection is the desire for long life. Long life. Now, I want to humbly submit that most humans desire long life. Now, I know if you're a Bay Area person, us Bay Area is a bit melancholic. We're a bit, you know, we like muted colours. Not like those SoCal people who are also happy. You know, we, we like the fog, right? We like the fog and the moodiness and the melancholy. We're Bay Area people, so I don't want a long life. Thank you, Tom. Yes, well, okay, imagine someone that you love. You know, your child or your mum or your dad or a neighbour. Most humans deep down actually do fundamentally yearn for a long life. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 uh, verse 11, it says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. I think we've got that on the screen. God has set the eternity in the hearts of man, which means many profound things. But at its most basic, it means that humans are designed to want to live forever. Okay? That desire has been, as it were, honoured in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? That desire that you have to live forever is not something to be denied. It is something because of who you are as a human. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, it is clear that when God first made Adam and Eve, they were meant to be eternal beings. Okay? That they were designed to live for eternity. You probably know what happened, that things kind of went wrong. And unfortunately, as it says in Romans 5 verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so this very death came to all people. The basic idea is pretty simple, is that God designed us initially, he designed Adam and Eve and all of humanity, to live forever. Because of the sin of our great-great-great-grandparents, we all inherited a nature that now no longer does live forever. Well, I want to argue uh, it does in through Christ. But that sin came, and because of that, death came, and so we didn't live in the way that we were intended. It's why when you and I hear about, honestly, particularly the death of someone young, there's just something in all of us that just feels there is something so wrong about that. You know, you might have a heart of stone, but when you watch the news about Ukraine and you hear about children dying, and children being bombed. I mean, there's something so wrong about such a short life. You know, even, I don't know, I was really upset a few weeks ago to hear about the the drummer from the Foo Fighters, Taylor Hawkins. I don't know if any of you know who he was. Being a musician, I, I loved his drumming, and he died age 50. 
uh, in a hotel in Colombia with 10 different substances in his body. 10. Cocaine, heroin. And his heart basically exploded. And uh, such a lovely guy. Seen interviews on him. One of the most brilliantly gifted guys ever. And I just think, man, even at 50, I mean, I'm 44. Just think at 50, so young. So young to die. And that's why as humans, actually, if you think about it, I want to argue that, you know, we're all very physically aware. Now, sometimes Christians kind of go, oh, you know, we shouldn't be. It's all about the spirit. And that's not, it's not actually, that, that's not particularly a Christian worldview. That's more of a Greek worldview, actually. Christians, obviously, we, we, we come out, as it were, we're part of the Jewish ancestry, which honors Obviously, the created physical world and the spiritual world is both very much gifts of God. And, and this is important to think about. That's why, you know, uh, to some degree at least, we're all aware that we should look after our bodies. Where does that come from? If we're just like evolved from, you know, random matter, why is it that you can quickly chat to people about, I should be doing this? Because we know deep down these bodies are amazing things. I went to the dentist recently. <laughs> And um, coming to America, I go to the dentist a lot now. Not so much in England. And uh, they're, like, they're like, oh, Mr. Shaw, quite a lot of work to do here. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, I've never flossed in my life. And they were like, what? And I didn't know you had to go around the back of your teeth. Didn't know that. I found that out a month ago, believe it or not. Anyway, my teeth are amazing now, as you can tell. But she did my blood pressure, and she said, oh, Mr. Shaw, well done. One, uh, 117 over 77. And she said, that's perfect. I was like, are you just being nice? She said, no, no, that's genuinely really good. And I felt like a buzz. I wanted to tell everyone, including in my sermon. It's 117 or over 77. Because something in me feels like, oh, maybe I'm not going to die soon. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a chance. I'm actually going to have something of a longer life. We are those who believe as Christians that Jesus Christ had the first ever resurrection body. It literally, throughout uh, the, the end parts of the New Testament, you, of, the, uh, of the Gospels rather, you see these accounts of Jesus who in some ways looks physically like who he was, but in some ways he's different. He can walk through walls. And obviously, ultimately, he ascends to heaven, which means many speculate about what that means for Christians who one day will have resurrection bodies. We Obviously, we do not know entirely but Jesus Christ models to us. You see, for example, in Revelation chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. John seeing Jesus in his resurrection body, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, and his feet were like bronze glowing. And here we go, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one, capital L, capital O. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Now, this is a big deal, all right? Jesus is standing there in his resurrection body. John is freaking out. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I know I look a bit crazy. But it's all right, because I love you, and I'm for you, and I've defeated sin and death. And I'm not just asking you to hope that. I'm physically demonstrating that to you. 
That longing in your heart, oh John, oh Sanctarian, to live forever is a good desire. Amen? You, amen? It, 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 there's something in you that should desire that. And, and we, and we realise that this is something from Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, man, read this. This is an amazing chapter. It says this... Um, in verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. So it's not just that Jesus has come back from the dead, lucky him, look at his body, isn't that amazing? The Christian belief is that by grace, the offer is made for every human to one day have a resurrection body like Jesus that lives forever, that is in some ways like this and in some ways radically different. Read 1 Corinthians 15 with a good commentary because I can't do justice in the moments I have. That's one of the big ideas of 1 Corinthians 15. That is what Christians believe. We believe that Jesus raised from the dead, physically, literally, and now that offer is made freely for you and me. So verse 42, Paul is just getting, he's just getting rolling here in the spirit. He's excited. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. Okay, it's a polite way of saying not great. Okay, even if you really think you're looking good. God's like, it's all right, but it's perishable. The one that's going to be raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Oh, I love that. Your body, it's a wonderful thing, but compared with what's coming, it's kind of a bit of dishonor. It is going to be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Look at this. And he says, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, i.e. physically die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. This is like Lord of the Rings on steroids. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So, part one, humans desire long life. And I tried to argue that that desire should be in you, nor almost certainly is in you, and it's because you're designed to long for a body that doesn't break and stop. Okay? And Jesus is like, yes, admit that, delight in that. Long for the day when you are clothed in this glorious new body. So can I just say, I love it that many of you here are into food and you're into the physical and you're into like uh, chiropractic stuff. And you're, that's so, that pleases the heart of God. Our bodies are a big deal. You know, I'm trying to walk 10,000 steps a day. Can I have a hallelujah? I'm, I'm flossing for the first time in my life. I'm going to bed earlier and I feel amazing. I, honestly, I love it that that is part of the glory of God. We don't despise it. Designed to live forever is a little clue about the resurrection. Okay, secondarily, you're not designed just to desire a long life, but also a full life. A full life. It isn't just about longevity. It is also about the, the fact that we all dream. We all dream that life will be, in many ways, a certain way. Again, not all of us are exactly the same, but it's hard to live in an area like the Bay with so many dreamers, right? It's the mecca in America, certainly, of dreamers. 
You know, I was in Spark Social recently with a friend and he was telling me, well, I'm quitting this big company, but I'm going to start this new gaming app and it's going to have this USP. And his eyes were glittering and excited. And all around me was 200 people in their early 20s drinking beer, eating chicken wings and talking about apps that they were going to develop. Now, we can get all negative, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just that. But there's something, there is something I love about this area that is nearly always trying to do things that are going to better humanity and make things work. And I don't think God's going, oh, those idiots. I think he delights as we cultivate this garden that is this world, as we put our, tool, and our, put our, our tools and our talents to good use, God cares. He, you know, Jesus, it says in John 10, 10, I came that you would have life. Come on, guys, that you would have life and life to the full. My first miracle, the wine's run out. Let's make 10 gallons of it or whatever it was. Ridiculous amount of wine. That's the Jesus that we gather around. He was like, you, I want you to have dreams. I want you to yearn for your life to have meaning and joy and it will have pain but but that part of all humans that wants things to be a certain way we want the end of materialism and we want the end of consumerism and we hate individualism they our hearts long for the end of these things those felt needs in you Jesus connects with the resurrection because Jesus has come back from the dead he's saying a new age is beginning where there will be no longer the pain and the suffering and the things that you in your heart know shouldn't be here. Because of the resurrection age beginning, we can go, oh no, we're kind of in line with the heart of God who wants to renew all things. Let me just give you one example. One of the things that all of us hate most is racism, right? It's, it's so, so ugly. And I love a little glimpse in... Um, Revelation chapter 7, you know, where it talks about because of the resurrection, this resurrected Jesus, we see him and John's painting a picture of what this new world's going to be like. And he says, and after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. See, every nation. People and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, what, what we see here is the world to come could be summarized as this. Christians believe when we say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, and we become a Christ follower, we get free access to live one day in resurrection bodies on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Christ. We are not floating off to play a harp on a cloud. That is absolutely Not what the Bible says is the biblical picture of why Jesus died. He didn't just die for humans. He actually died for the entire cosmos. The whole reality was affected by sin and he was raised from the dead and the new age has begun. Not going to begin. It has already begun. Hallelujah. We're living in it now. And every time someone comes to know Jesus and says, Jesus is Lord. It's almost like they go from black and white to color. You know, and this world bit by bit by bit is becoming color. And as we do things led by the Spirit in the schools where we work or the companies where we work and we, when we make music and we teach music and we work in shops and we care for our children by the power of the Spirit, something of the kingdom of God is breaking out and it matters. And that deep desire that this life wouldn't just be meaningless, but it would be meaningful. 
The resurrected Christ is saying, keep going, sister. Keep going, brother. What you're doing is you're ushering in the return of the Lord and the resurrection and renewal of all things. It is a real thing. It's a real thing. And God loves it. God loves it. You see, I want to even say this. Um, Our bodies, I think, yearn for this kind of world more than even our brains do often. I heard one uh, scholar recently say, I think the rampant increase in depression is entirely appropriate. What he's saying by that, he says, if you do not have a hope, if you do not believe that this life, in a sense, is only the beginning of something even greater, the real adventure is to begin one day. If you think that really you're just a group of molecules, just randomly here, and your, your family, if you have one, or your friends, it's all pretty meaningless. Of course you're going to be depressed. It's the most natural thing in the world. It's, of course you're going to be anxious. And you can stuff our bodies with a lot of things to try and numb that. But actually, our bodies, even when they're depressed, are often actually telling us something. It's almost like they're saying, I yearn for a world that's different. And you may not believe in the resurrection. You may be here, I don't believe this. But can I humbly say, our bodies often are more wise and persuasive and in touch with reality than, than always just our brains. That we are yearning for something beyond this. But thirdly, I want to say this, is it's not just that we all desire a long life, and I believe that's because we desire ultimately resurrection life with Christ. And it's not just that we desire a full life and that the resurrection of Jesus is like the beginnings of Jesus saying, yeah, I I want that too. That's why I died. That's why I rose from the dead. And, and, you know, those, all those desires you even have now to just make this world a little bit better are, be, are actually found ultimately consummated in the resurrection. The third thing I want to say is this, is the fact that we all detest death is also, in my view, a huge signal that you desire the resurrection more than perhaps you normally realise that we don't just, most of us, um, you know, when you hear about death, I mean, gosh, I don't want to depress us, but just think about the last few weeks. I mean, a 13-year-old driving a truck in Texas that hits, you know, that group of golfers from New Mexico, and all seven of them are killed, and the, and the 13-year-old and his best, nine of them die. And there's just something in you that hears that. And it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. Think about six killed in Sacramento. Even just very recently, you think about two dozen shot in Brooklyn. My friend was on the very train where the gunman was just this week. We just think about the relentless horror of death. And this world often will try and convince us that death is fine, yeah? You know, people like famous poets like Henry Scott Holland who said, death is nothing at all, it does not count. I have only slipped away into the next room, nothing has happened. Or Elizabeth Fry, do not stand at my grave and weep, I'm not there, I don't sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow, I am the diamond glitters on snow. 
Now, with respect to these poets, um, when I was standing at the grave of my 22-year-old friend who was killed in a car crash a few years ago, and the rage in that room, the, 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 the deep grief, there's something so wrong that this would happen. Such a violent end to this young man's life. You know, to just say, oh, he's just next door, he's a glittering rainbow or whatever, the, you know, it, it's not that big a deal. There's something in me that doesn't just go, that doesn't convince me, it almost makes me angry. It just, it's just so weak. The kind of attempts to try and say death is okay in this world are so, are so weak. And we, you know, we, uh, we tell ourselves, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. But the Bible says it's an enormous deal. And the Bible says this, the reason that you and I honestly hate death is because you're meant to hate death. It's not a small issue. It's a profoundly significant issue. It's not, it wasn't ever meant to be here, and God hates death. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. And he weeps. He, he, God is not like, oh yeah, death's fine. It's just like a movement of a different... It's a horror. It's an enemy. And we live in a world that wants to like sing a, like a lullaby over us. Oh, it's all fine. It's all fine. And Jesus is always saying, wake up. Wake up. It's not fine. It's really not fine. You need a saviour, not just an instructor. You need a rescuer, not just someone who's going to help you think philosophically differently. You need someone who's going to get you out of the path of the train that's coming to you. That is the, the feel of the gospel, whether you like it or not. It's urgent. And so that kind of visceral, you know, global shared feeling of I hate death. I'm not okay with death. I, death is an intruder. That is meant to be in us. Crazy thought. Maybe your detesting of death is a signpost to you being more like God than you realise. You may not even call yourself a Christ follower, but the pain you feel may be, in a sense, pointing you and proof that you are more like your creator than you realise. That would be my argument. And that is why when Jesus at the cross said those words, it is finished. They were of massive implications. It wasn't a, so he's saying, I have drunk the hellish poison of God's wrath. I have drunk this metaphorically, this goblet of death for hour upon hour upon hour. And I've hated every minute of it. He endured the cross, scorning the shame. It means he hated the shame. He wasn't okay with the shame. He was naked, physically naked on a cross for hours experiencing some kind of cosmic wrath that I don't even fully understand that was horrific and horrendous for Tom Shaw. He did that. It wasn't a small issue. It was horrendous. Because he, did, he detested death. And if we as Christians don't feel something of that, I both hate death, but, but gloriously, I long for the opposite of it, which is resurrection life more than I realise. You can't go high unless you're going to go deep. Amen. We are a people of the cross and the empty tomb. But it, what it does is, when we go, no, I hate death. I need to stay soft to death. I don't just want news to be reported. I want to weep. I want to lament. Because when I weep and I lament over the people of this, even out here, who are real people, who probably grew up in houses like me and you, man, keep our hearts soft. 
Because it, it matters that 850 people died on the streets of San Francisco last year during the epidemic. 850. Not 200, which was the normal figure. 850. Every single death is a big deal. And it needs to be a big deal to us because then once we have the weightiness of it, we can also go to the joy of like, but Jesus Christ, he has commissioned us with this amazing news that now it is finished, that Jesus, as it says in John 3.16, God said, God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that no one would perish but have eternal life. That is why we, we get so excited. That's why he said to the cross, uh, sorry, to the, to, the, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He was, he was offering something that needs to be our, our, our deepest mantra. Charles Spurgeon said famously when asked, what's the worst day of a Christian? He said, sorry, he said, the greatest day of a Christian is his last day. The greatest day of a Christian is his last day because it's then that he's ushered into the presence of God. You know, when we understand that the, the depth to which we are meant to hate death is also almost like the down bounce of the trampoline with which we then bounce into the joy of saying to our friends and our neighbours and our loved ones and to ourselves, it is horrendous. Praise God for the resurrection. Praise God. For my, for my children, I, can, I, can, I can't give them so many things that other people can give them, but what I can give them is this bit of information, is that I think your longing for those things for those things ultimately find their fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. So I, I, I've tried to argue relatively briefly that those three, those two desires, the desire for a long life and a full life, and also the hatred that we should have for death, kind of should make us at least interested in this event, the resurrection. But we have to finish by saying, well, Tom, you've at least slightly stirred my appetite for this thing to be true. Can we actually depend on it? Can we depend on it? And I just want to finish by saying that um, the, the counter-arguments that you may be aware of or familiar with um, about the resurrection, I would say, are surprisingly weak. I mean, I hope no one's offended by that. I don't think... They are very strong at all. I think it's absolutely legitimate that you would, uh, you would have a strong intellectual confidence that it is the most likely thing that Jesus Christ literally came back from the dead. And therefore, all the other stuff I've been arguing is actually available here today. So let's just briefly, briefly whip through them. First of all, what are the counterclaims? There's probably others, but these are, I think... Uh, are the top seven. First of all, the resurrection, Tom, though, okay, thanks for all your passion and excitement, but the resurrection was a very common idea in ancient uh, writings. Now, my brother, praise God, professor at Stanford University, I uh, called him this week, I was like, hey, brother, I've heard this said a lot, and he said, it is true that in pagan um, you know, literature for thousands of years, even before the coming of Christ, the idea of a dying and rising God is not unique to Christianity. It isn't. You can look at the North, Norse uh, god of Odin, who apparently, this was an element of his great story, or Dionysius, said it right, um, who also, I think, <clears throat> in Greek literature, this theme of dying and rising 
was a very common thing. So in a sense, I don't think um, we have to, if you're a Christ follower here today, to say, oh no, it's the only sort of, the only religion or path, spiritual path, that talks about this. I don't think that's true. But I think what is true, there is a world of difference between the kind of Greek literature, particularly, that has echoes of this, where it does talk in mythological language about this kind of thing. There's a huge difference between that and actually the very earthy, literal, historic documentations, the, uh, the source material that Christians cling to, that is the Gospels. The eyewitness accounts are in totally different to the kind of beauty of the writing that, that has captured the imaginations. And C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, again, often talked about this because they were real experts in world mythology. And they said, oh, no, these aren't enemies, these ideas. It's just that God was, like, warming up planet Earth for the real thing when his son would actually come and not just talk about this in a poetic way, but would actually, in a nitty-gritty, bloody, earthy place and time, actually do it. And I also would just say this. I don't think it's entirely true in all, for example, in Greek philosophy, so some of the most famous people you would have heard of and have actually really shaped the world that we live in still, like Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. I am no Greek philosopher, but even I know that the basic idea of, of Greeks was that actually our physical matter is inferior. The real deal is the inner spiritual life. So in Greek philosophy, it was about escaping the, the prison of the body. The idea of a resurrection of your body wasn't even something that they would have wanted. You know, it wasn't like, oh yeah, everyone was talking about this idea. The Christian view of it was, in that sense, totally unique. Secondarily, I've heard others say similar, but even the, the literal dying and rising of someone from the dead isn't unique to Christianity. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who was saying... He'd grown up in the Hindu religion for a long time and he knew of uh, gurus who had, um, before their death, had gone into like a deep meditative state and been buried alive. And that was their choice. That was a kind of a specific path that certain gurus did. And then decades later, construction workers had accidentally dug them up and they had come back to life, done some more teaching and then asked to be reburied. Now, I trust my friend, so I'm recounting this. Uh, you know, absolutely um, honouring what many people would say is our actual reality and, and, and facts that happened. So even if that happened, which um, apparently has happened, uh, I would also say, but even that is not the same as what Christians globally believe, you know, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's still very, very different because for Christ, obviously, he didn't ask to be then buried again. He very much stayed alive and well and was on planet Earth for days and days before promising to return. Thirdly, some would say, yes, but the disciples obviously lied. They lied about this. But again, I would say, actually, well, if that was true, why was it that the disciples didn't produce the body? if they actually knew about it? Or why did the, the disciples mostly uh, die for their faith? It makes no sense. Thirdly, some would say, um, sorry, the disciples stole the body. Yeah, so those are two arguments that I've just dealt with there. 
I don't think the logic behind those arguments, if you're into logic, is very strong at all. It doesn't logically hang together. Fifthly, some would say that the authorities stole the body. But again, why didn't they present the body? If these Christians were going around going, oh yeah, this Jesus is back, we've seen him, he's alive, he's walking around. Why didn't they then say, oh no, he's not, look, here he is, we've got him. They didn't do it because they couldn't do it because I believe he really had come back from from the dead. Sixthly, some um, have said that Jesus only swooned. He didn't die, he only fainted. Which again, if you look at the actual historic accounts through the Gospels of what happened, uh, seems extremely difficult to believe, in my opinion. When you look just at the horror of the physical, uh, brutal treatment that Jesus went through, the 39 uh, whippings, the 39 lashes that he had, um, and then the repeated horrendous beatings, including a whole company of soldiers beating him up. And then obviously him being actually crucified, um, and then having a spear through his side and blood and water, which is medically a sign that someone has actually died, those two separating. And then, of course, him being taken down and wrapped in linen, which I'm told would have likely been very thick linen, up to weighing 100 pounds. So think about this. Jesus has been through absolute, a brutal death. But he's then bound in this thick linen. So, you know, I I presume he wouldn't have been able to even breathe. And left alone with no medical treatment, no water, no food. But in theory, somehow survived all of that. Somehow got himself out of all of the the linen. And, you know, sort of appeared uh, looking totally different. So, again, I mean, that is a theory that some would, would say uh, in their attempt to not believe the resurrection of Christ. I personally think it almost takes more faith to believe that than what generally Christians believe. The final common uh, alternative view is that uh, the disciples hallucinated. But again, generally in, in psychological circles, hallucinations are normally individual things not groups together all seeing the same thing. And they're normally negative in feel. They're normally kind of scary, horrible, you know, um, things that cause people to really doubt the goodness of reality. Whereas the, the occurrences for the disciples were, were things of a tremendous joy and they led to them ultimately very much uh, being transformed from who they were, negative, fearful, timid, into bold, joyful uh, people who would ultimately even die because they couldn't deny the fact that Jesus Christ had, had risen from them. So I think that if you are a thinking person here today, if you would say, yeah, I li- I'm thoughtful, I like to use my brain, I would say in conclusion that I think we really do have to grapple with what approximately 2 billion people on planet Earth, 2 billion believe actually physically happened. Christians have a lot that, div- that, that uh, you know, divides them, right? Thousands of different things. This is one of the very few things that you could go to almost any church and ultimately say, do you believe in the physical, literal, body, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the ted- dead? <laughs> from the dead. From the dead. And they would say, yes. Yes, I do. So the fact that this is true or claim to be true just by so many people, I would want to just say, you know, that's something you, I find difficult to discount. 
Um, C.S. Lewis famously said, if Christianity is not true, it's of no importance. Um, but if it is true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is of medium importance. It's not just this sort of, oh yeah, interesting type thing. It is, it is very binary in that sense. And I, and I love that about it. And that's why it's so important. Of course, if you are a Christian here today, uh, it leaves us with, with two things. First of all, tremendous comfort. Tremendous comfort. As Christians, as I said even earlier on, um, when you think about you know, being prepared for the, for the next life, um, our emotions are funny things, but to know like, intellectually, robustly, that no, this is, this is very likely what actually happened. And so it makes sense of my reality and enables me to face going into this next part of my existence that is through the doorway of death with such confidence. Um, I think is a profound comfort. It's a profound comfort. I'll never forget seeing my 98-year-old granny um, just totally cool about death. For she, her, her husband died when she, they were, she was 75. And she then, she decided, well, Alex gone. And she'd been a real healthy eater before that point. And then I remember she just stuffed her fridge with, with cream cakes from that part. I was like, Gran, wow. She's like, well, I want to be with Alec. You know, she lived for another 23 years on ice, on ice buns and cream cakes. But she just loved Jesus. And she was just, you know, she knew it in her head. I just believe this is, this is true. This is reasonable. This, is, this isn't, you know, fantasy. This is my great cornerstone. And it affected how she lived every single day. Isn't that wonderful? Man, this is, this is very practical stuff. But also, finally, it does leave us with Christians with a very obvious, you know, elephant in the room challenge, which is we really, <laughs> you know, you don't need me to tell you, we cannot stay silent about this. You know, so many non-Christians think that Christianity is uh, like, first and foremost, like a moral thing. Yeah. Oh, I meet a Christian and let's talk about sin and me not being good enough and certain issues that are like, yeah, do you feel sinful? So many people think that that's what Christianity is about. And I really, I mean, we're not a big church, okay, but we can have a mighty impact if we all just took away from this little talk this one thing. Christianity is not first and foremost talking about morals, Tom Wright, the Bishop of Durham, says, with Christianity, it's first of all an issue of historicity. It's a historic question. Do, you, do we actually believe in time and place a man came back from the dead? That's the starting point of Christianity. Because if he didn't, everything else is irrelevant. So we start actually with a historic question. So even as we think about talking to our neighbours and our friends, what does it mean to be a Christian? I just, and I've said this many times, we have to be a people who rush to the resurrection. As people go, what about this? And Christians, yeah, I'm sure those things are probably fairly true. But as Christians, we are those who, who, if there's nothing else we talk about, it's this. We believe a man physically, literally came back from the dead. And therefore, because of that, everything else, everything else, including the moral questions, come after that. But so often, I think we have not got it that way around. So we can be those who boldly approach the throne of grace. Amen? We can go, Jesus, this gospel, what a gospel, that you would go through what you did, but today we remember the fact that you are reigning in glory and you see us, you know us, 
you love us and you honor us. And you're excited that we're alive. You're joyful that we're, that we're alive. And you know everything about us. And uh, I wonder what our resurrection bodies are going to be like. I, I, I'm very excited to, to find that out. And uh, I think it's a good question to think through. 